<laughs> Thank you, Leonard, for not caving into the the peer pressure there. It was actually a relief not to hear that for once. But anyway, um, good evening, everyone. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, and let's begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our time and another day in his, his world. Thank him for the anticipation of heaven and the eternal state, knowing that our destiny is set and sure by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, <clears throat> so with reverence and humility, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for another opportunity to hear your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit within us, your spirit, that allows us to understand and comprehend your word, to gain knowledge of our Lord and Savior and of you and of your, your great program for human history. We thank you that you have made us <clears throat> to be a part of that history and you have elected us. Uh, as you're saved in children through faith in Christ. We thank you for Christ and his work and all that you are. And, and we look forward to all that we will know of you as we continue to learn your word and strive to apply your word. So we ask, Father, that through your spirit, our hearts would be enlightened in the passages that we'll see. We ask in Christ's name, amen. <coughs> Uh, so now we'll, uh, we've just got a, a few more of these to do, which are uh, topics in the Psalms that refer to prayer, uh, which so many of the Psalms are prayers, but they're referring here to uh, d different topics that are in the Psalms that would apply to us practically. And, <clears throat> and the point of this is not, at all, it's been awesome to be able to uh, see and read and understand some of these psalms that we've seen, uh, and the part the what I want from this for all of us is to uh, gain a habit of using and learn uh, reading and using the psalms in our prayer life. And uh, you know, again, there's 150 of them, so uh, you have plenty of of uh, psalms to. That are going to be different. If you did one a day, you'd get through. You could go through it twice in a year, a little more than twice, uh, and you know you'd be greatly blessed. Uh, as a reminder, I'd say that these are prayers written by by God's saints that God adopted into His own Word. So they're actual prayers by people. David wrote most of them, and that God has incorporated into His Word. So it's. It's really God's stamp of approval on these prayers that they are perfectly to his will. And so we can never go wrong with them and add to them. doesn't mean that we don't pray in our, our own words, our own desires that are not found in, in here. But um, we would add that to it. And so therefore we get plenty of things to pray about. So the one we're going to look at now are, is entitled Good Things, and I'm using that phrase from Psalm 103, uh, good things refer to earthly things. Uh, and 
I think all of us would be struck by how often petitions for life, a good life, and good fortune are found in the Psalms. Um, there's many, there's many like this, and <clears throat> so it reveals to us. And again, God has adopted them in. So when the psalmist is praying for health and good things, he means material things in his life, blessings from God, earthly blessings. Obviously, God uh, is telling us that we can pray for these things. Uh, it is not selfish, therefore, to pray for earthly things that are good. So God desires good earthly things for us, and we may pray for them. Uh, <clears throat> but, all, you know, of course, we're called to suffer for Christ's namesake. We're to pick up our crosses and deny ourselves daily. And it's an error, however, to think that we should not get earthly blessings because we know that we're called to suffer. Uh, but suffering is not all the time. And we are to enjoy our lives and enjoy our things, enjoy one another. <clears throat> but the error comes, and, and it's easy to fall into, the error comes when we start desiring things more than we desire the will of God. And that's when the things become a problem. And it can be anything. It could be a person. It could be money. It could be anything. It could be a, a, a food, a chemical, a drink. Uh, it could be a hobby, even, uh, something that would look harmless, uh, that we could kind of fall in love with more than we love God, and then it becomes an idol. So that's the error, and, and that's why uh, the, the in all of these psalms where there is prayer for good things, there's also in every one of them the desire to do God's will, to not put these things above God. So... In Psalm 103, three times is mentioned the fear of the Lord, and uh, and and so you know, it's, this is another instance where we get to look at this phrase, the fear of the Lord, and try to understand it. It's a difficult concept to fear God and not be afraid of God, and <clears throat> the reason why it's difficult is because the fear of the Lord is not like the fear of anything else. We have anything on earth that we fear uh, is nothing like the fear of God. So, for instance, you know, in this case, we would want blessing from God, but where, you know, where is blessing from God? And blessing from God would not be apart from God. You know, if God were in a certain place, you know, as we saw in our last study, that was the Psalms that talked about God's dwelling place, which we applied to the church. Um, like, for instance, in Psalm 84, the writer of the Psalm longs to be in Zion where God dwells. That's why he wants to be there. He wants to be there because God dwells there. There's nothing special about the city. Well, there is something special about the city, and it's God's there, and that's the reason. Uh, for us, the blessing of God are in his presence. It is fellowship. Now, so therefore, God's the only one, the only thing, person, that we would fear that we would want to draw near to. And all of the things that we fear, we want to get as far away from them as possible. 
Uh, if you you know if you fear heights, you don't want to climb. You don't say, hey, let me climb to the top of the tallest building and you know kind of stand on the ledge. You don't do that. You get as far away from the ledge as possible. But the fear of the Lord is a longing for Him, right? And that's why this concept becomes difficult for us. Uh, <clears throat> so to turn. So what what do we do when we turn from the Lord? What is that? Uh, and it's actually the perfect, uh, the, the uh, literal definition of sin. Uh, and I'm trying to think of the the word yet, but we haven't gotten to that yet. But harmatia is the Greek word for sin, and it means to miss the mark, right? So, and so you're shooting at something and you miss it. You're in error. Uh, the other word for sin that I can't remember is to stray outside the lines, and that's what the word literally means. If we turn from the Lord to something else, it's sin. Right? So turning, to the, turning from the Lord is to turn to sin. Now, therefore, if, I, if the fear of the Lord is the desire to be in his presence, then the fear of the Lord is the fear of sin. Because sin's what takes me away. What turns my eyes from him. So the fear of the Lord is the fear of sin, and the desire to be in his goodness, and his light. As Paul writes in Ephesians 5, you're children of light, walk as children of light. To be in the plan of God on that narrow road, I fear not being on it, and therefore I fear sin. So the fear of the Lord is the fear of sin. Now we may also fear God's discipline. We should, when we go through it, we're thankful for it because God's discipline is needed by every Christian, and we, uh, you know, we we need it to correct us, and we're glad for that. But do any of us want God's discipline? Uh, when a discipline comes from God, it is harsh, and none of us want that. So we could fear the discipline from God, and it would be right for us to do so. But discipline, why does it come? Discipline comes upon us when we let sin, in a particular area usually, become our master. And we're sinners. And when we're kind of Johnny on the spot, keeping short accounts, confessing our sins to God, uh, we're not really overcome by sin. As, we're, our, as our hearts are in the right place, our minds are in the right place, we, even so, we're still going to commit sin but we recognize the sin and we confess the sin and we stop the sin, the sinning. And so, but when do we get discipline is when sin becomes our master in some way. And, <clears throat> and therefore, we're back to sin again. What are we afraid of? We fear the sin. And so, by fearing the sin, what we really desire is to be in God's presence. And so the fear of God is the desire to be with him. And that sounds, you're right, it's just antithetical to anything that anything else that we would fear on earth. Uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, we fear what? We fear not pleasing him. But why would you want to please him? Because you love him. Uh, because you want to be with him. Because you want to walk with him. You want to do everything that he, the way that he does. By the way, why do we want this? Uh, it's because God has made us new creatures. 
You know, I thought I thought about this a bit today when I when I'm uh, in this this particular principles of, you know, the the will to do good, the will to uh, desire to do good, and can you imagine now? And people do this. Uh, you know, you tell the un, an unbeliever, you say, you need to do good to the unbeliever. You need to do God's good. Now, what is the unbeliever designed for? In Adam, he's a born sinner and has nothing of God in in him, her, and has and what what is he called in the scripture? Disobedient children, children of wrath, sons of disobedience. And so if you tell a son of disobedience, meaning born of disobedience, you need to obey, what is their response going to be? They're going to be like, go to H-E double hockey sticks, right? It's like, I'm not going <laughs> to tell me to obey. They don't believe in God, don't believe in Christ. So the, the gospel is to the sinner, look, here's God who loves you and saved you. Here's God who became a man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and he sacrificed himself for you. He died in your place. He was judged in your stead. He loves you. And all you, what you have to do is accept him. Accept who he is. Believe who he is. By faith, and you will be saved. Nothing there is about what they have to do afterwards. You know, uh, as well with the Lordship Salvation crowd, they say, well, wait, you can't just tell them that. You have to tell them all the things they're obligated to afterwards. Or for them, it's not afterwards. It's part of the whole thing. And you're telling an unbeliever how faithful and obedient and godly they have to be when they're not even changed. I find that heartbreaking, actually. But why, So then when and why do we actually find ourselves desiring good? And that is what believers do. Because we're transformed. We're, we're more than transformed. We're made brand new. And I know there's people who claim to be Christians who are not living right. They're living carnal like the Corinthians. And there's, you know, people question their, their uh, salvation. But that's between them and God. Christians can be carnal. It's right there in the Word of God. But it, even though, right, and they, they, when Paul, the, the Corinthians read Paul's letter and they repented, and that's what he writes in 2 Corinthians, that he was so glad that he caused them sorrow and that their sorrow turned them to godly repentance. That's in uh, chapter 2, verse 7. In which, by the way, in chapter 2, verse 7, Paul mentions the fear of the Lord. And they repented. Why did they repent? Uh, God believers are made brand new. And so we have this, the Spirit is in us, God is in us, and uh, our new nature desires godliness, desires righteousness. And still, even though we still struggle with it. Uh, so, you know, there, this fear of the Lord, where does it come from? That's where it comes from. We're believers who are made for him. And so, earthly things and earthly pleasures in the physical body are not evil. Uh, if they exist in our lives under God's will or by God's will and authority. 
Uh, and this, this again, this is where the problem happens. But for some uh, different Christian or religious sects, they, um, you know, they deny themselves absolutely everything pleasurable, uh, and that is asceticism. And God does not, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible, as we'll see here, teaches us that God wants for us good things. Uh, <clears throat> so our petition for daily bread actually involves all this. Give us today our daily bread. Now, you may say, well, you know, it's just bread. So God doesn't God, you know, for us in our culture, bread and water meant, you know, you were in jail, right? So you had like nothing. And bread seems pretty low on the scale of good things. But would bread be really low on the scale of good things if you were starving? You know, if you were like so hungry, you hadn't had food in days, and someone handed you a warm piece of bread, let's make it warm. But if you were starving, even if it was stale and cold, it'd be the best thing you ever ate. Uh, so what in, in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our bread, is give us today, Lord, what you want us to have. And do you enjoy bread? I know I do. I mean, even when I'm not starving. <laughs> I make my own bread at home. I have this awesome little bread machine, and I, boy, when you have to slice off a piece when it comes out of the machine nice and toasty warm. It's delicious. Uh, and so... <clears throat> you know, God gives us good things, and we can ask for them because they are in the Psalms. So the petition for daily bread would involve everything, though. Uh, Jesus wasn't going to give us a prayer that had everything <clears throat> we could possibly want in it, so it's all summed up in bread. Uh, so the body, the physical things are not evil. That's a false Gnostic doctrine. Uh, a doctrine that was, <coughs> excuse me, a doctrine that was uh, uh, spread through the church very early on in uh, the early church in Christianity. So look at Psalm 103.1, a Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all our iniquities and heals all your diseases. Again, your iniquities. So first and foremost, David says, Bless the Lord for his forgiveness. Bless the Lord for his healing. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness. Again, this Hebrew word chesed, it refers to God's covenant love. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And so as David would say, as David is saying here, even as you're getting older, God renews you. And so the problem is, is when God's good things don't match up with what we think are good things. And we want more or actually, in some cases, for the ascetic, the ascetic wants less than you know, what God wants to provide. And so, again, it's when good things don't match up with what we think are our good things that we run into problems. God's people having the fear of the Lord, as I said, is mentioned three times here. 
Now, sin is mentioned as well. But sin is not displayed in this psalm as the problem. Sin is not shown in this psalm as the problem. The problem shown is the fear of a lack of the fear of the Lord. So <clears throat> when you say when you say something like that, you know, the psalm doesn't present sin as the problem, we might conclude, or some might conclude, that we can sin therefore all that we want and will be prosperous. But even common sense tells us that that's not correct. So why does God tell us that sin is not the problem and yet fear of the Lord is? And it's because, uh, and I had a discussion today, a great discussion with my Greek teacher about this very thing, how God doesn't write out for us every single little detail that we would want. You know, we get this all the time. You know, why doesn't God just like spell it out in certain places in just intricate detail? Like he says here, look, you know, your sins and your iniquities. Well, he says here, your sins I've cast as far as the east is from the west. That comes from this psalm, Psalm 103. Beautiful. It's usually quoted. As far as the east is from the west. And so you say, well, well, therefore, great. You know, my sins are no longer a problem. They're so far away from me that I don't even have to worry about them. But yet we also have the fear of the Lord, the obedience to the Lord, and they're all in here. So you say, well, come on, we'll, you know, tell which one is it. And God gives us enough and is vague enough in many places that we have to deeply ponder. Like, you can figure it out. But if you're a superficial reader of the Word of God, in other words, you just want to read through it fast, just give me the quick, give me the cliff notes, you're not going to understand. You just won't. These things are meant to be read over and over and pondered. That's why in the Psalms there's that Salah. I forget how many times. It's like 80 times or something. Uh, Salah means stop and think about it. Stop and meditate. God has made his word so that those who study it will understand it. But for the person who just wants, you know, I just want to read it as quick as I can and just get it done with, they're not going to understand. And that we find that here as we find it in so many places. So let's read it. Uh, verse 6. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. He acts, his acts to the sons of Israel. So uh, first here we have the Lord performs righteous deeds. It means he's speaking of the Lord's righteousness and his power to work. The fact that he called Moses and that Moses was a righteous man that led Israel. That is God's doing. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as you removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord is compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but 
dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower in the field, so he flourishes. When the wind passes over it, it is no more. And, in, and its place acknowledges it no longer. This beautiful poetry of how short your life is. Uh, where you once were, there's nothing there. Where you once lived, there's nothing there. Right. So your, your life is short. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and who remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels. So, okay, so we get to the end here and we're back to bless the Lord. That's at the beginning and it's at the end. It's the great work of the poet. Uh, But in the middle, we have... What? The sins and iniquities are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. But we're also called to see that blessing comes upon those who fear him. Covenant love to those who fear him. The fulfillment of those covenants to those who fear him. And so uh, the blessing, now going back to verse 5. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Well, there's definitely a condition here. And it's that we fear the Lord. And that as he goes on, it's not just fear the Lord, but it is um, remembering his precepts to do them, obeying his voice, doing his will. And all of these things are, are put to us And that those who do that, are they rewarded by God like it's a works thing? No. It would seem that way, but that's again for the superficial reader. The superficial reader would say, well, well, this is a works program, right? Like, you do this and God gives you stuff like you're being paid for a job. But it's not that at all. It's those who fear him, uh, keep his precepts, do his will, are those who desire his presence because in sin I'm I'm not I don't want you know I could say we could use the word fellowship and I'm in sin or sinning or if this not at this particular moment but in general my lifestyle is not one with God but turned away from God I live in sin then I don't require I don't care about it's not my he's not my love I don't want I don't care to be with him. I want what I want. And whatever the Lord wants, hey, if it agrees with what I want, fine. But if what he wants is not what I want, he goes away, I pursue my own desires. That's the sinful life. And so how could somebody like that be in enjoying the presence of God and enjoying the blessings of God? And where would their capacity be? for good things of the earth. I mean, they don't worship God in the first place. So the things would just be more things that are added to their self-worship. So it's not works. It's what do we love? And if we love that which is right, then we can handle 
the good things of the earth. And so that's why, therefore, I, I think why in, in uh, 103 here, Psalm 103, that fear of the Lord is mentioned three times. It's, it's the thing most repeated. <clears throat> now, so this is what we call capacity. Capacity is the ability to enjoy good things and avoid the harm they can give. <laughs> is Ma- What's Maggie doing back there? Maggie, keep it quiet. You promised me you'd be quiet. <laughs> now everybody knows. All right, so capacity is the ability to enjoy good things and avoid the harm that they can give. Everything can harm us. Do you know that the Word of God can harm us if we use it in the wrong way? The Word of God has harmed a lot of people it's when it's used in the wrong way. Church, religion can harm us when it's used in the wrong way. When one particular truth is emphasized over another while the other truth is ignored, then religious religion harms people's souls. So we need capacity, and that's the ability to enjoy earthly things and avoid the harm that will come from them. And this ability to enjoy things properly comes from the fact that we fear the Lord, and therefore we don't want them things more than we want to follow his will. We don't want stuff more than we want the Lord. And that, that gives us capacity. So capacity actually comes from the fear of the Lord. So going to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, right at the start of Proverbs, it's all about wisdom. What is the beginning of knowledge? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, so go forward to Luke 12. Luke chapter 12, look at verse 13. <clears throat> and that I thought of this passage when I thought of the way fallen man thinks. and I mean, sinful believers think. And the reason I can do that so well is because I'm one of them. And I have done this in the past, where we thought about capacity, and then I thought, well, If I can develop capacity, I'll get more stuff. So if I have capacity, I'll get rich. If I have capacity, I'll get that big house that I want. And so what did I really want? Not the Lord. I want the thing. And so I'm actually trying to trick the Lord. And all I'm doing there is trying to figure out, like this parable of the rich man, how to get more stuff. What I'm doing is just building bigger barns. That's what he does here. So keep in mind the themes of Psalm 103 while we read this. Fearing God, remembering his precepts to do them, obeying his voice, doing his will. And then you can figure out what's wrong with this guy. Uh, Verse 13. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? What's ironic here is that Jesus is the judge. But this is not what he was sent to judge. And he said to them, Excuse me. And he said to them, Beware 
and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land had a certain rich man. (coughs) Sorry. The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, I like how he says that, soul, you have many good things laid up for you for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So this, and just like um, in Jesus, when they tried to trick Jesus about should they pay taxes to Caesar or not, and he said, give me a denarii and tell me whose image is on this coin. And he said, well, it's Caesar. And he said, right, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And it's the same thing here. It's not a. It's very clear in the scripture that it's not sinful to be rich, but it's for the rich are told not to be conceited. And here it's the same. It's this rich man. There's nothing wrong with him being rich or building bigger barns, but everything wrong with the fact that he's not rich towards God. Go to Psalm 37 now. So why would we want capacity for material things? Well, one of, the, one of the reasons for material things is to be gracious, to give to others. Uh, we'll see that as well if we have time. But uh, <clears throat> God says, I provide seed to who? The sower. The sower is the one who sows the seed. All right? If you desire, you desire more to give to people, and then again, you can't play... You know, you think you're going to pull the wool over God's eyes and say, you know, I'm really gracious. Give me more, more money because I'm going to give it away when you don't want to give it away. I mean, he can see everything. <clears throat> so we're only to want capacity so that we're not distracted from Christ, from the riches of Christ. Psalm 37, look at verse 1. A Psalm of David. Uh, Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious. This is 37. Why does it look like 34 to me? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. So just like was described for us in Psalm 103, we're like the grass in the field, here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, God in multiple places, uh, make sure to tell us how uh, uh, quick or or brief our lives are. And he said, don't fret about evildoers or wrongdoers. They're going to quickly go away. Uh, They're all going to die. And by the way, there'll just be more evildoers to replace them. So he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. 
You will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. You know, many think that this is David's final psalm. It's the last one he wrote. Because there's a line in here where he says, I've been young and I've been old and I've never seen the children of the righteous begging bread. I've been young and I've been old. Uh, and this might be his last one. But notice, trust in the Lord and do good. It's the same, just like it is in Psalm 103, just like it is everywhere in the Scripture. But it's trust and do good. It's not do good and say, all right, God, what are you going to give me? It's trust and do good. Faith wants, trust wants, and depends upon the Lord in that faith says, when I am in your presence, when I am walking with you, when I am in your will, that you will bless my heart in whatever you desire for it, but it is going to be wonderful. My heart will be filled with joy. And when you have a heart like that, if you have a little house or a big house, as if you have no house, it doesn't matter. Whatever God gives you in your life, you're thankful for it. And you enjoy it. And you take care of it. Because that is a gift from the Lord. God told this to Israel when, he, when they went into the promised land in Deuteronomy 6. He said, I'm going to give you a marvelous land. Don't forget the one who gave it to you. Don't forget me, which they did. So, do I, how about having all this stuff now? Well, verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. I think in this psalm, do not fret is also mentioned four, four times. This is anxiety, right? Which is wonderfully mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 5. Casting all your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Be anxious for nothing. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evil doers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, what will they get? They will inherit the land. So again, the land is... You say, well, is it metaphorical? Is it just spiritual blessing? I don't think so. I mean, I think what is truly promised to the church, especially, is spiritual blessing. None of us are promised to be rich. But we, the, <clears throat> the desire of the Lord to give us earthly things that we'll enjoy uh, is certainly, you know, uh, is, is in the Old Testament clearly, but it's also in the New um, again, God provides seed to the sower. Uh, God will provide for us good things. But <clears throat> again, we see the, the theme here of what, what is the condition of the heart of the one who is able uh, to not be distracted by good things. If they inherit the land, they don't forget God. Right? Israel went in and inherited the promised land. They, God gave it to them and they forgot all about them. And went and worshipped idols. So, the, you know, those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. And they won't get distracted by the land from their love of the Lord. And so David promises now, yet in a little while, and <clears throat> yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble, again, short life, right? But the humble will inherit the land 
and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. And it is sure, it's spiritual blessings. It's also, I mean, God has designed human bodies. We can't exist without material. Right? At minimum, we need food, water, and shelter. At minimum. And so we need material things. But he gives us far more than that. So how, how, do we, how do we delight in those things? By delighting in him. And never, ever... Looking at the things is more important than our relationship with God. And not just, and, and meaning, what I mean by that is more important than me doing the will of God. Nothing is more important than that. <clears throat> so this is one psalm to read and to pray whenever you're finding yourself stressed out over material things. Don't fret. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Delight yourself in Him and He will give you the desires of your heart. But wait for Him. And provided that those desires have bowed to His will. And you'll see the principle of obedient humility. Look at verse 27. Depart from evil and do good so you will abide forever. Depart from evil and do good so you will abide forever. Look at, Go back to verse 18. <clears throat> the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil and in the days of famine they will have abundance. So that's to remember when, you know, say our economy does move into a depression as is predicted by some economists. Say that we go without. Notice, don't fret in the midst of a famine. Follow the Lord. In the midst of a famine, you will have abundance. Now, what that abundance is, is entirely up to the Lord. And now, at the very end, look at Psalm 30, uh, verse 39. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. And again, they take refuge in Him. They want to be with Him. They want to be in His presence. They want to be in His will. That's where they want to be. That is the love of the Lord. Go to Psalm 37. Oh, you are in 37. (laughs) Never mind. Uh, One more. Uh, When Jesus sent out the disciples, going village to village to village in Israel, spreading the gospel, that the kingdom of God was at hand, uh, Jesus said to them in Luke 22:35, "When I sent you out without purse and bag and sandals, did you not? You did not lack anything, did you?" And they said, "No, nothing, Lord." So I put that on the board here, uh, Luke 22:35. When I sent you out without a purse or a bag and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, "No, we lacked nothing." <clears throat> Look at verse 16, Psalm 37:16. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. See, and we would thank God for that little and not look at the abundance of the wicked and say, boy, I wish I had that. Do you want to be like them? And of course you wouldn't. You want to be like the Lord. And so this is, a, this is the process of knowing. See, 
The Word of God tells us what we are to be and what we are to think. The Word of God is, tells us who God has made us to be. In the image of Christ, these things, Old Testament and New, are our things now. His life is our life. And I know it takes a while. I, you know, I'm, I'm standing here thinking of those who maybe have just started out. And when I say just started out, you might, that might just mean a few years of learning God's Word. And you struggle with this because your flesh doesn't want anything to do with it. And your flesh is trying to tell you that it's a trick, that it's not real, that it's smoke and mirrors. Your, your flesh in the world is telling you that this is, isn't real. It's a fairy tale. When in fact, it is the world that's the fairy tale. It's the world. Somebody posted uh, today something on Facebook that said, uh, I think it was from Thomas Sowell, the great economist, uh, who said something about people scoff when things are simple. And Sowell said, a lot of truth is simple. And a lot of lies are really complex. Right? They're made complex just to trick you. The Word of God is actually written very simply, as we know. And uh, you know, the truth is simple. So it, it takes time. It takes time. That's why you've got to stick with God's Word and you've got to plug with it. And, and, don't, and, and also have the uh, tenacity that comes from knowing that the time is short, right? We just read in two Psalms that God said, you're like the grass who's here today and gone tomorrow. So the time is short, don't wait, but know that it's going to take time. It's going to take time for us to see clearly that the place we have to be is in the presence of God. And in our, our prayer life, and what I mean by presence is in His will, and in our prayer life, we should be pursuing that. You know, and that, that's a part, also a part of the Lord's prayer, your will be done. So, we conclude that it's not selfish to pray for earthly goods if life in God's presence is more important. Uh, so, go, go to 1 Corinthians 6. We'll skip up there, then we'll come back to 1... Or more, yeah, we might be able to actually finish this. That's a first. Uh, <clears throat> it's not selfish to pray for earthly goods. Uh, pray now. If you love the Lord more than you love the goods, you're okay when He says no. And He say, "Well, Lord, Your will, not mine, be done. Your will's better than mine." I might be. It might hurt a little. We're we're human, especially you know if we want something really bad, I think you know immediately I think of someone uh, who's alone and wants a mate, you know, and the drive that can come from wanting somebody because you're lonely, or maybe you're attracted to someone, and there's a there's a very uh, physical and emotional uh, hurdle, I guess, or or uh, pain that can come from that. It does come from that. And it's not easy to say, well, okay, God, your will, not mine, be done. Um, I mean, unless you're old. <laughs> I think old, older people have a way easier time with that. You know, if you're old and single, you know, it's, not, it's different when you're young. 
but still, whatever it may be, it's not always easy to say to God, your will, not mine, be done. But you know, but you know, right, that your God doesn't change, and we do. Our emotions change, our feelings change, our perspective changes. It must change. It must actually change into conformity with the will of God. Uh, and so we, we know certainly that if God says no to something, that it's for our good, not for our ill. So pray for earthly goods. And knowing and accepting your own heart beforehand that God may deny them. He may deny them because we lack ability, meaning capacity. That may be the issue. But he also may be denying them because in his complex plan that involves billions of people on this planet, you not getting that is a part of that plan. A person said to me once a while ago, and asked why they didn't have something and was was very bummed out about not having this something. And I said to them, well, you might have the capacity for it, but it might not be timing in God's plan. In other words, <clears throat> say for the Jesus had capacity for everything. He could have been a billionaire. He, he could, you know, money would have never gotten to his head. Nothing would have gotten to his head. But God, the Father, gave Jesus hardly nothing materially because that was a part of the plan. That was a part of the plan. You know, some, uh, we were, I was talking today again about, to my Greek teacher who was telling me that he had a theory about why certain pastors in big churches are out in California and why other types of churches are in different parts of the country. And... You know, if, if God plants a church in the midst of people who are super rich and have no material needs, um, you know, there's, there might, there's probably going to be a certain pastor that's going to appeal to them. Like, for instance, Ravi Zacharias' whole ministry was pointed at not the poor, but the affluent. And because it dawned on him when he was a younger man, and he grew up in India in a very super poor place, that he said, there's not a lot of missionaries going to the rich people in America or in Europe. Right? The missionaries are all going to the poor places. Where are the missionaries to like New York City or something like that? To the, and what I mean by that, like the west side or something, you know, where the rich are. And so that's where he went. That's what he was called to. I think he was quite effective there. But... Um, <clears throat> so it may it may be that you have capacity. We have to understand that God is decreed and in control of a plan that involves billions of people that is so complex and, and, and a part of that in his working is that, you know, I'm here, you're here, other people are somewhere else. You may have capacity for things that God just says, no, it's not part of my plan to give them to you. I'm doing something else. So good things are good, but they're not always profitable. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful for me, Paul says, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Right? So we have to keep that in mind when we're thinking about earthly blessing. 
I may want something and I may pray for something, but I should ask myself. And there was a point we made, and I should repeat this a few more times, that in, in this doctrine, that when we are praying, we're praying just like we live for Christ's sake. You know, the thing that I want and the thing that I want for others is it more of, is it just something selfish or is it something for Christ's sake? You know, because the, the whole part of my existence is to glorify Christ and to be in his image. So the things that I want in my life, are they for Christ's sake or are they for my sake? And that's what Paul here is getting at. And in this context in 1 Corinthians, the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols was, was what he was addressing. And... You know, as he, he said, I, I will not eat if I know it's going to harm my brother. If it's going to hurt them in some way spiritually. So he says, all things are lawful for me. I, I can do what I can do, but not all things are profitable. And therefore, some things I'm going to deny myself. Uh, go to verse uh, chapter 10. 10.23. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. All right, so the same principle he writes that we looked at uh, twice, I think it was Tuesday and Wednesday, was in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, that we're to consider one another as more important than ourselves. And that's here too, right? Don't seek your own good, but that of his neighbor. So what's different between this and in chapter 6 is in chapter 6, Paul said, all things are lawful for me. And here in, verse, in chapter 10, he says, all things are lawful. It means all things. And when you think about it, it's very true. And there's, there's sex, uh, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't know why I go there first. <laughs> But, uh, you know, uh, it could be anything, uh, uh, alcohol, drugs, sex, um, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on sin, I'm just, I'm just that holy, I guess. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing sinful about them. money, power, there's nothing sinful about them in and of themselves. It's when they're perverted that they become sinful. God has a place. I mean, God has wealth and power. And therefore, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with them. But are they in the right place? All right, go to, uh, let's go to Psalm 63. Have five minutes. David, in Psalm 63, has nothing. But David sees himself as exceedingly rich. And the reason, now David knows he's king. Now, the kingship looks far away. Uh, he's being chased down by Saul in the desert. I remind you, how long was David uh, fleeing from Saul in the wilderness? He was fleeing from Saul for ten years. David had already been anointed king. Years ago, he was anointed king by Samuel. And <clears throat> so he knows he's king. And when David becomes king, his level of material prosperity is going to go through the roof. But right now, in the wilderness, 
he suffers privation greatly. So look at Psalm 63. And again, this is one to pray that, well, what if I'm suffering privation? It makes me think of our, our friend, you know, the, the, um, the, electric, the, the utility bills in Europe, well, at least in the UK, have doubled, like completely doubled in the last few months. And the reason why I know this is because uh, I get to talk to, wonderfully, get to talk to Terry Oakey, who is, lives in England. And we, we see her on the Zoom meetings on Fridays. And, uh, you know, she told us that they're having a hard time paying their heating bills. And, you know, so this is going to happen. What if it happens here, too? And people are, you know, we're not out on the street dying uh, if we were, the rest of the body of Christ should come to our aid, but uh, we might be in, in want. And, and that would be the will of God. You know, if it's not because of sin, it's not because of your bad decisions, and yet the privation or lack of things, comfort, is there, then that's the will of God. And it's meant for you to go through. But with just like we saw in the other Psalms. Wait for the Lord. Right? He's going to come through. He's going to fix it. He's, going, he's got the solution. He's testing you so that your faith will increase. And also, at the same time, while your faith increases, your witness to those around you increases. Because even though you're in lacking, you're joyful. Right? It hasn't affected you. That makes me think of another thing I heard too, but I've only got a minute here, so I'll save that for another time. <clears throat> we can be great witnesses when situations are difficult. Uh, Psalm 63, this will be our last one. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It might very literally be no water where David is right now. But notice his longing. Just like Psalm 84, the longing to get to the, to the temple. Our longing to be in the church and to learn God's Word. Our longing to be where? In God's presence, in His will. I long for you. Thus, verse 2, Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because of your because your loving kindness is better than life my lips will praise you your covenant love your promises to me made by your love that i know you're going to keep are better than life itself so that's capacity so i will bless you as long as i live i will lift up my hands in your name that's prayer my soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. What's interesting here is that he doesn't have marrow and fatness. <laughs> and yet, he knows that he will someday, but he's satisfied with it now. So in verse 6, at nighttime, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your heart hands, uh, sorry, your right hand upholds me.
But those who seek my life to destroy it will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be the prey of foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Who's the king? He is, actually. Everyone who swears by him, God will glory, for the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. And there are very real people on David's trail trying to kill him. And David says, well, why? how do I know I'm going to be delivered? I was anointed king. Now you and I, you know, how do we know we're going to be delivered? Even if, we, if God delivers us over to death and we become martyrs, that's just a, a, a quicker pathway to the eternal life, to the eternal state. Who's going to take that from us? Nobody. David here speaks of the greatness of God, and that's why he seeks him and depends upon him. So whether we have a lot or whether we have a little, we can pray for more. Uh, And if God says no, that has to be fine. But know that when we have capacity, and it's not the material things, earthly things, they're not evil things. We should enjoy them and when we get there, we'll see that we also should be very gracious with them. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you again that you have provided uh, these beautiful psalms that bring to our minds and our hearts the, the, the truth of you in very real and practical lifestyle, the truth of being with you, the truth of drawing you drawing us to you so that we will be with you, and to not count anything in this world as more important than our love for you and for your will. We ask in Christ's name, amen.